Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. One of our highest values at PIR Ministries is building relationships to communicate hope. Each of us on staff have not only a background in pastoral ministry, but also an experience of God's healing grace in renewal and restoration. In fact, many of us have walked through the PIR program, our process of placing an exited pastor and spouse in the loving embrace of a refuge church for six to 12 months to find hope, healing, and the next step God would have them take. So we bring to our relationships a deep understanding and empathy that's born out of our own stories. Tom, today we have a, a very special guest. Jason Eddy is a graduate of our PIR program. And he loved the program so much, he became a staff member here at PIR. He's been a regional director for uh, about seven years. Jason and I go way back. We've been friends for over 30 years. We were best friends in high school, and uh, I'm going to hope that he doesn't tell any of those stories and know that I have stories to hold over his head, too. So maybe that'll (laughs) keep us on track. I think I'll really enjoy this. I'll try to behave myself. Jason is the executive pastor at Bethel Church in Janesville, Wisconsin, and uh, he has been married for 19 years and has three beautiful daughters. Jason, welcome to Hope Renewed. Thanks, Sean, and thanks, Tom. I really appreciate the work you're doing with the Hope Renewed podcast. I just think it's a great resource for us as church leaders and for those of us that really care about the church, and uh, I'm honored to be part of the conversation today, so thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you back. You've been on the podcast before as part of our staff roundtable. And uh, yeah, this is just a, a, an exciting conversation that I'm looking uh, to delve into. So your, your story starts long before your PIR process. Um, so if you would, what was the context of your ministry? And, and when did you begin to notice that things weren't quite what they should be in your life? Sure, Tom. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior uh, at an early age, and I, I grew up in the church, and Stephanie and I are blessed in our extended families to have just a lot of church leaders, board members, pastors, uh, church treasures, you know, musicians, and so growing up, many of our conversations were about how our churches are doing uh, around the Thanksgiving table, the Christmas table. So when I felt called to be a pastor uh, early in my life, even before my teen years, I went into it really eyes wide open that church leadership is hard, but it's full of blessing. And it's one of the most valuable things that we can really invest our time and energies into. So I've just really felt called to build up the body of Christ. And when God called me into uh, pastoral ministry, uh, there's been many, many blessings. uh, and There's been a lot of challenges. So to lead up to when I really had a difficult transition uh, really focuses on the area of I was part of a church that was started in 2001. I was there about 10 years. And like many pastors, I had a lot of dreams and goals that I was praying to see God do on this local body. And we were working towards them. There were a lot of obstacles and challenges on the way, uh, discouraging times. And then you'd see God answer prayer and move forward. And about eight years into the journey, we were really beginning to see God answer prayer and some of the pieces fall in place. And what began to happen is it just began to move faster and faster. I remember uh, specifically one time when we were doing training for children's leaders a a quarterly and the ministry was growing so fast. I think we went from like one volunteer in our children's ministry to 65 in two years. And I remember after one of those trainings, we had just set out the new schedule. We were about two weeks into the new schedule. And my wife came to me and said, Jason, we're already short staffed. We need to schedule another training next month. And what I was beginning to realize is it felt like this thing we were building was not sustainable. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I could not keep up with the rate of growth. So the the first things I was noticing was just the demand that the leadership of the church required, and it began to get very tiresome. Mm. So Jason, uh, everybody comes at burnout with, with different things happening in their lives and 
and it shows up in different ways. How did, how did burnout manifest itself for you? Very beginning, it was just physical symptoms. It was digestive frustrations. It was headaches. Uh, I would find myself waking up in the middle of the night and my mind was just racing and I couldn't get it shut back off to go to sleep. So those were some of the, the early signs. And as it progressed, it just got worse uh, until finally the digestive problems were so bad. It was preventing me from being at church events. Uh, and I was just plowing my way through it. Uh, but my wife finally made me go to urgent care. And I thought I was going because I had some virus, you know, with the things that were going on in my digestive system. And the doctor talked to me for a few minutes and he said, if you ever had an EKG? And I said, no. And I was thinking, well, what does that have to do with what I'm dealing with? And uh, he said, I think this is stress related. Hmm. And I, I mean, there were some other symptoms like shortness of breath and, you know, chest pains from time to time. So he did an AKG and that started down this path uh, that eventually the doctor told me, you need a new job. It's going to take you at least 18 months for you to recover from how upside down your system is. And I said, well, thank you, doctor. I don't want any job. And I left to continue on. And it gets, it gets complicated when we start mixing, trying to figure out these things that we have no control over. So I tell people, I literally faith talked my way right off the cliff because I was so full of faith that God had me where he wanted me. And he was answering so many prayers that we had prayed for years. I mean, even, even 10 years of prayers were now finally being answered. And so now I'm wrestling with, God, you're answering prayer in so many ways, but why? is my body failing? And, you know, there's multiple layers of, of why it was happening, but the reality was I couldn't stop it. Mm. And so finally, the I remember two conversations in particular. One is my wife had come in for a meeting and they were talking about me with my wife. And I realized I was hearing them talk about me, but I was not present in the conversation. And that was one of the times where I was, okay, something is wrong with me. <laughs> The other time is when my wife cried and she said, Jason, you're not making sense and you're starting to scare me. And I was so mentally strong to apply my faith to the situation that I was getting to an unhealthy place of not even being realistic anymore. And when I saw my wife's tears, that was significant to me. I was like, something is wrong. My wife is crying, but I still can't quite put it together. So then about a month later, uh, I just had a full-blown panic attack, driving home from church one day. I thought I was having a heart attack. So the church was gracious to me and gave me six month or six week medical leave as we're trying to figure this out. And when I came back from the medical leave, uh, the very first Sunday back, uh, I had the same exact response on the way home. And I realized I can't deny this anymore. My doctor mm -hmm. has told me what I need to do. My wife is telling me that we need to make a change. And so it just became apparent I could not give the church what it needed. And so I needed to step out and let someone else take the baton for a while. And so I did resign at that time. And that was like jumping off a cliff. You know, one of the conversation I'd had with my wife very tearfully, she said, why won't you stop? And I said, sweetheart, I would stop if I, if there was a plan B here, I feel like if I stop, I'm going to lose everything. Mm -hmm. We're going to lose our home. You know, we'll have no health insurance. It'll all be lost. And I've been pleading with God to show me a plan B, to show me a safe way to step off, but it hasn't come yet. So I'm waiting on him to show me a safe exit route. Well, the safe exit route never came. He just wanted me to take it by faith that you just have to stop. That's all I know. And so I did. And that put me into about a 17 month free fall. Uh, that was very dark and scary. And yet in God's goodness, he caught me every time. So God is good and faithful, but it, it did put me into a forced exit with 17 months of great difficulty. Wow. And, and uh, to know that you had gotten to that point, recognizing it, but feeling that you, you couldn't do anything to, to stop uh, and finally just releasing that, I imagine must have well, like you say, a free fall, you use that description. So in, in those 17 months, if we could maybe step into that a little bit with you, what, what was it like kind of at the lowest points for you? And how are you experiencing God in that time? First of all, let me tell you about being at peace to step out. There's a, a weight of leadership in the church that leaders carry. And there were so many times through the years of ministry where 
I was in a place of discouragement that I wanted to quit or I wanted to step out, but God wouldn't take the mantle off. He said, no, this is my yoke for you right now. And, and a lot of the thoughts were about the church being the bride of Christ or, or the church being the child of Christ. And I just sensed the Lord would say to me, uh, you need to hold on to the God's child right now. Uh, don't let anybody hurt the bride. Kind of those types of things as you're shepherding the body of Christ. So in those last days before it came time to resign, the way the release in my time with the Lord in prayer, it was like that mantle was lifted. And for the mm. first time, I felt like he wasn't holding me there anymore. He felt like he was releasing me from it. And I said, this is, I've wrestled with this so many times over the years. How do I know this one's you? Is it really okay if I, if I lay it down? And when I just had peace that I could lay it down, I wept because mm. the weight had been so heavy for so long. So we start out in his goodness of just releasing me from that burden. But then what happened over the next months is just a lot of loss. And our, our local church at that time was so good to us. They provided us for us financially far longer than they needed to. After I resigned, there were things in our home that needed to be fixed so that we could sell it. And both the church and people in the church helped um, provide for that because the thought was we're going to sell the home. And everybody thought that I was going to be ending up back in my hometown in Michigan uh, and so now here's where the crazy conversations start, because as they're watching me suffer, they're saying things. And these are mature believers, very caring, well-meaning people. And they're saying things to me like, you have been too faithful to the Lord for this to be God's will for you. Mm -hmm. Or now God's blessing is going to come to you in this way uh, by moving you here. And what would happen is there's just all these closed doors. So mm -hmm. there's this, this struggle in my mind between what my Christian community is saying and then what I'm experiencing. And I can't reconcile it. So that just made me feel a little bit isolated, you know, and alone, I've got to figure this out. What was really the most painful is when we watched people who were new in their faith, you know, who we built relationship begin to struggle in their faith because they watched us suffer and there was nothing we can do. And I remember my wife crying in prayer once and saying, Lord, but this isn't about us. This is about your name or protect your name in this. We don't understand why you've allowed us to suffer, but God don't allow the faith of other believers to be damaged because we're suffering. Now that I remember that being a, a painful time of prayer for us. Uh, but some of the details of that looked like I was not well enough to work. I was unemployed for 17 months. So logistically, what does that mean? I thought we'd lose our home and I can't even quite explain it to you, but somehow the God provided through family, through just unexpected gifts here and there. Um, it was a very humiliating time for me, not being able to provide for my wife and kids where I really had to find my identity in Christ and mm. not in what I had been providing for them. That was wow. very painful. And then there's the whole depression part of my physical burnout. And the depression lie is that this is it. It's all over. God's done with you. Uh, that's why he's not answering your prayers anymore. And this is the end. And so there's a long, long season where having to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ was just a full-time job that was exhausting. And I would say the biggest thing that God really ministered to me that time is learning that he sat with me every day, even when I couldn't feel it, uh, even when I was sure he wasn't hearing my prayers, just to begin to realize, but he sat with me every day and that he was loving and gracious and compassionate and able to receive all of my anger and all of my frustration and all of my despair. And yet he was big enough to just put his arm around me and say, I know, Jason, this is hard and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to leave you. And my plan for you is still good. And that was really what was birthed in me in that 17 months is that even when I can't see God working on my behalf, that he has promised because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose, that he is working all things together for good. Mm. And like the psalmist says that I have to be confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It was a battle of faith for me in those 17 months. And at one time, my wife bought me a DVD series called, it was Bud's 234 Navy SEAL Training. 
And I resonated with that so much because they put the seals through all these disorienting exercises. They keep them up all night. They throw them in 50 degree water. They take them to the brink of hypothermia and then they pull them out. And then they, before they let them recover, they do something else. This whole season of my life was just so disorienting. And as I look back on it, now I understand because since then he put me through, uh, there was a 17 month series uh, time in our church that we went through just a really, really dark time. And now I can look back and say that 17 month wilderness where I was in a free fall and he was catching me was what prepared me to lead a church through a 17 month wilderness. And so as we talk about at PIR, our pain has a purpose. There's a redemptive quality to the pain God allows in our life. And that 17 month period after the forced exit was very, very painful. And yet God was gracious and helped us through. Wow. You know, Jason, I, I think um, sometimes God uses those really dark places to deepen and broaden our faith. And as we respond to him in faith, we start to recover. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your process of recovery was like? And at what point uh, did you connect with PIR and what role did PIR play? In burnout, there can be multiple layers and it's a process. You know, we talk about it's like pulling the layers of the onion back. I think of 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that says the God of peace himself will sanctify you completely, spirit, soul, and body. My burnout involved all three of those areas. So for example, my physical burnout was because we were experiencing a significant mold exposure in our home. And as this would play out, we would find out it was making all of our family members sick. I was really the first one to really exhibit significant symptoms, but it affected our whole family. And so that actually forced a move for us uh, two years later after I resigned. Spiritually, there's the shaping of faith. There's the learning to trust. You know, there's a learning to walk with the Lord through new experiences that require greater amounts of faith than the previous years did. So there's a lot of things happening there spiritually about learning to know the Lord uh, as the, the God of redemption, to know the Lord as, you know, the God who is all sufficient and will provide for all your needs. But then in the soul, that's probably the hardest one to really identify and pull apart. And I also learned during that season uh, of healing that while I was probably presenting the gospel well from the pulpit or, or, in a professional way, that there were pockets of my soul, pockets of my, my thoughts and my heart that really had not fully embraced the gospel. I'll give you an example. Um, I remember hearing a speaker talk about Jesus, the vine and the branches in John 15, and talking about how the Lord will cut off any branch that doesn't bear fruit. And I know he's talking about parts of my life that are not bearing fruit. We need to cut it off. If it's going to tempt me to come into sin, I need to cut that off. But there's parts of me, what I was learning is that I was afraid if I didn't function the way the Lord wanted me to, that he would cut me off or that he would reject me. And I would never have been able to not even say that I believe that or acknowledge that that was in there. But as I had time now in this silent place of 17 months, finding out that I need to bring that, that thought in line with the gospel. You know, that I'm a dearly loved son of God, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus did. And that in the blood of Christ cleansing me from all sin and in the imputed righteousness of Christ being applied to my life, that I am pleasing to my father, not because of what I'm doing, but because of what Jesus has done on my behalf, that there were still parts of my soul that did not fully embrace that. And I was working really hard to please God in a way he wasn't asking me to please him. You know, I, I came to realize even my righteous deeds are as filthy rags, the scripture says. And so while I was trying to honor him and to, to please him and to participate with him in the building up of the body of Christ, those are all wonderful things. But when there's parts deep in our soul that have not received his grace and are trying to earn it on our own, that can cause us to strive in ways he's not asking us to strive. And I was carrying in those, those really recessed parts of my soul, I was carrying unhealthy application mm -hmm. in this ministry. And 
that was very healing for me to be able to to say, okay, that that part needs to be silenced and changed and let, let the Lord touch that part of my life. And that's got to be the hardest thing to allow that disorientation to take place. Uh, I think for all of us, you know, that's not a fun place to be. We don't, we don't want to uh, disrupt everything, but oftentimes that's what the Lord has to do is, is to disrupt us in order to reorient us uh, according to the truth. And that just sounds uh, like the pattern of your experience as you walk through this. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how big God is. And I, I think what I realize is he is infinite in who he is. And I'm going to spend my whole life getting to discover until I see him face to face. And so it's not that I'd missed something early on. It's just that this was part of the journey. And he brought me to the place where he said, uh, let's take care of this during this season so that you don't have to carry that the rest of your life. And what a gracious God he is. And so I'm so thankful for it. And I, it's affected every area of my life. It affects the way I function in my marriage and in my parenting. It functions the way I shepherd the local body of Christ. And it really impacted me for why I care about this ministry of PIR uh, for pastors and church leaders. Uh, because part of the loss when you exit out of a church, it's not just a professional change. You know, God intended the body of Christ to be our community, uh, to be linked together and to help one another. And when a pastor is exited out of a, the local body, the whole family loses that community. And I didn't realize how important that was until about nine months into our transition when I saw it now in my wife and kids. Mm. And I realized that this was painful for them. Uh, and so our desire as a couple is just that families that are going through these kinds of transitions, which are very common amongst church leaders, that they wouldn't do it alone and that they would have someone they could pray with, someone that could, could listen to them and understand, maybe not understand why it's happened, but understand what it's like to all of a sudden have God's direction for your life turn off and you don't know what's next. And, mm -hmm. you know, to, to be in a place where he's not answering prayers like you expected him to, or like even where there's this disconnect from what he's promised and what we're experiencing, you know, you promised you'd provide. And yet now I've got all these bills that I can't pay and I don't know what to do about mm. it. There's a measure of faith that has to cover over the gaps sometimes and when he provides and when the need is. And th those are just uncomfortable places to be in. Jason, can, can you go a little bit deeper in, or maybe uh, give us a little bit more detail on how you really got connected with PIR um, and what PIR did to help you heal? Stephanie and I were having a significant conversation about what might be next for us. What do we really care about? What might God be calling us to do? And we really identified what we care the most about is the well-being of his church and zeroing in the way we think he wants us to help the most the well-being of his church is just to support and encourage and help its leaders many church leaders just feel isolated in their role it's not anybody's fault it just it just happens so as we began down that road we began looking at ministries that that serve churches and church leaders in this way and we were connected with pir well i was also intentionally working on my own burnout and figuring out what's next for me and I remember one of the first conversations with, with PIR was uh, Ed Lockmuller, who was the executive director at the time, and, uh, and Roy Yankee. And I asked them if they have any resources for burnout. And they said, well, yes, we do actually have a program for that. And I remember saying, I don't want a program. I just want a book to read. Can you just give me a book to read? <laughs> and over the next few months, uh, talking and praying together, uh, they were able to convince me on the idea of going through the PIR program. And here's the reason why I use the word convincing me. There's two parts of the PIR program that were very hard for me to want to be a part of. And the first is they wanted to put a support team around us of lay people. And I just could not see how that would be helpful. I did not really want to talk to lay people about what it was going to be, what it was like serving in the church. I didn't know how I could do it without sounding you know, like blaming, or I just, I was like, I, I don't want to do that. And what PIR was saying to me was, but Jason, the church is at the core of your pain. And God wants to use his church, the bride of Christ, to be part of your healing. So that took me time to wrestle through and 
and to come to the the realization that maybe that would be a healthy, helpful thing. The other thing was that it allows for a pastor to raise support, like like missions uh, missions funded. You know, he sent out support letters, and there was no part of me wanting to do that at all. I mean, I'm in dire financial straits, right? Like I, <laughs> I'm in a bad spot. If ever I would be okay with sending out a help letter, it would have been during the season. But even then, I was like, there's no way. I, I never want to do that. And I think it was part of my pride. I didn't want to ask for help, you know? Uh, and that has been a beautiful thing. So when I finally came to, okay, I'll try this. And I did it. Oh, my goodness. The beauty of, of it is really uh, amazing to be able to be loved by the body of Christ. I didn't have to lead. I didn't have to have any answers. I just was loved. That was, that was powerful. And then the idea of sending out support letters uh, has even changed the way I see church finances because the church is really the same way. People that are supporting the church through tithes and offerings are doing exactly the same thing that people have done by being a financial partner with me and my wife through PIR. They're supporting the work of the Lord. Now it is coming in a different way, but it has made me appreciate the way God blesses his church financially in a new way and appreciate those that are so faithful and giving in a new way that I hadn't been able to see before I was receiving financial support directly uh, through this program with PIR. So it was a beautiful thing. I will tell you this. I'll never forget the first time I sat back in church considering going forward in ministry again. I was sitting in a congregational meeting in the very back. I was not presenting anything. I had no responsibility whatsoever. And I was overwhelmed with anxiety again. I nearly had another panic attack. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm willing if you want me to serve you in this way but I cannot explain to you what happens in my body. I don't understand it. And unless you do something, this is just not going to work. And so it was really through that six months of the PIR program, taking baby steps back into serving that part of that process for me was about overcoming the fear that would happen again and mm -hmm. being able to go into a church service and struggle with that you know, and have such a limited role, I could slip back out and deal with whatever's happening inside me without having to be responsible for everything. So that six months was just such a gift uh, that allowed me to heal and allowed me to learn as my brother Tom talks about is learning to lead with a limp that I have had to learn to do ministry on the backside of burnout. Uh, and it's really just about being more willing to acknowledge my limitations being more willing to acknowledge my inadequacies, being more willing to acknowledge my weaknesses. And isn't that really what the gospel is? That's how I came to Christ in the first place was by repenting of my shortcomings and my sins. And, you know, Paul talks about that we need to learn to boast about our weaknesses. So the power of Christ um, can be perfected in us. You know, I think there's a song on the radio right now that says my weakness is a canvas for his strength. And I think I always led out of place of strength of here's what I have to offer. And I'm learning to lead out of a place of weakness mm -hmm. that uh, this is what we need the Lord to do. And uh, it's exciting because the Lord is always, always available to show himself strong. We just have to be willing to acknowledge our weakness. How, how did the PIR process impact Stephanie and the girls? It was painful for them. The transition was, uh, but the PIR program, was wonderful. It was humbling for me. I remember one of the support team meetings, uh, one of our very wise friends on the support team asked Stephanie, when was the last time you did something in the church you just wanted to do? And she broke down in tears. And I'm looking for a hole in the ground I can just stick my head in, <laughs> right? Like it, was, it was one of those horrible moments that was healing for her and for me. And the conversations she and I had on the way to our support team meeting and on the way home from the support team meeting were probably more significant than what actually happened in the meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was about us knowing one another and knowing what ministry was like for one another, you know, to know that my wife had felt like for a long time, uh, she had something she had to live up to 
that was hard for me to hear, but it was needed. Um, and I don't ever want my wife to feel that way. Uh, and I don't want pastor's wives to feel that way. It, it really highlighted for us what we already knew. We used to do ministry groups back before I burned out. And we would have pastors and their wives in our home once a month. And, and what we would find is that every time we got done with, you know, the, the planned part of the evening, that every month there would be a pastor's wife in the kitchen with my wife crying. And it would end up that, you know, one of the guys uh, and I would be sitting on a couch going, huh, I wonder where the ladies are. You know, it's, this is, and then we'd start to look and we find, oh, they're having a significant conversation. I guess we're just going to watch sports center while we wait. Um, but that was very healing because a lot of times, you know, pastor spouses, uh, whether wives or husbands, their, their spouse's professional role affects them mm-hmm. more than most professional roles affect the spouse. And there's really no place for them to talk about it. They can't talk about it in the context of their community in the local church, really. Um, so that was one of the ways the PIR program was very, very uh, helpful for my wife. I think the way that it was helpful for our children was to begin seeing how God provides. I'll never forget one of our Thanksgiving services, my oldest shared because they had lost everything. We lost all of our belongings in the mold um, in our home. So I was taking, on my way to, I was taking, we had clear trash bags and my wife would say, hey, I have like four more bags that need to be taken to the dump. Can you take them for me? And I would go and I'm throwing away these clear plastic bags of like brand new clothes, brand new stuffed animals. And it would bring my tears to my eyes going, I can't believe how strong my wife is to be doing this. Well, my kids learned through the process is the Bible talks about that the Lord restores what the locusts have eaten. And kind of like Job's story where he had like twice at the end what he had in the beginning, my kids have seen that. Uh, And so I'll never forget my daughter saying in the Thanksgiving service, when we lost everything, it was really painful. But I've gotten to see how God cares about the things we care about. And he's... Uh, in his time, you know, he didn't do it in my time or as fast as we would have liked, Mm -hmm. but in his time, he's been replacing those things. And so what we would do for our kids is we would write down, Hey, what are the, you know, what's five things you really miss, you know, from before we lost everything and they'd write it down. So, okay, let's pray. And let's ask God that, you know, if you would start replacing some of those things and then they would show up in the strangest ways. And we'd get to say to our kids, see, God cares about the little things. And so I'm just telling you, if you need God to provide something, you give it to my wife. She puts it up on the inside cupboard (laughs) of the kitchen and she has a list of things she's asking God for. And I know if I want some, I put it on that list because he answers that list that she has there and they come in the strangest ways. Wow. Wow. So walking through all this time, and you've mentioned a a number of things uh, that you've seen God doing in the process of your healing. What's like a key lesson that that you uh, share now from that time or that just really resonates uh, in your heart from that time? The first one is that when the Lord says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he means it. It's true. Hmm. Uh, I was in a free fall for 17 months and only God could have caught me, but he does. And the scripture says he knew me before he created me in my mother's womb. And it says that he ordained every one of my days before one of them came to be. And I have sat in days where I could not understand how God could have ordained this. Mm. But there's so much peace and knowing it's not a surprise. There's so much peace in knowing somehow this fits into the larger puzzle, but it doesn't change tomorrow, right? So I, I think what I learned is I, I had learned to walk with God on a daily, weekly basis, maybe. Uh, in that experience, I learned to walk with him in years. You know, like I had to wait on him. He didn't answer that next month or the next two months later. He answered a year and a half later. Well, that stretched my walk with him. The second thing is the scripture talks about, I think it's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He says that God is able to make all great grace abound to you. Hmm. So that in all things, 
at all times, you will have sufficiency for all things. Uh, I've had to find out that was true through very painful ways. That is true. I can tell you after a year and a half, that's true. But there were many days in that year and a half where I had a hard time believing it. And so sometimes just being reminded of it and having somebody else, you know, I'm so thankful for the people in my life. It was like the four friends that lowered their paralyzed friend down to Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's been times I've needed the faith of my friends to carry me through those times. I had a, a local pastor who would just call me regularly during that season. Uh, he would get tickets to the baseball game and say, hey, I'm going to the baseball game next week. Can you go with me? And he'd say, hey, I'm going out to lunch next week. Can you go with me? And he would just, you know, take me out to lunch. He'd take me to the baseball game. He knew I didn't have any money. So he would just bless me. And I realized that the faith of my friends was so important during that season. Just to be encouraged that hey, God still has a great plan for you. I don't know why this has happened and I don't know what the end looks like, but uh, don't forget God still has a great plan and he's working it out. So those are the things that I just really appreciated during that time. Pastoral ministry can be painful and sometimes that pain can become all encompassing. Pastor, if you are hurting, if you are stuck, if you are burned out, if you have been forced out of ministry, if you have lost your job because of moral compromise, please hear what we know at PIR Ministries. You are not alone. God still loves you. God is not done with you, and He is still accomplishing His purposes in your life. We are here to help you find new hope. Contact us at PIRMinistries.org. So Jason, uh, our friendship has been one of the most important things in my life uh, since high school. I mean, you've played a huge role uh, just in my spiritual formation. One of the things I've enjoyed over the years as we've gotten together is hearing what God has continued to do in your life. Uh, we may not have been together all the time, but whenever we got back together, uh, I'd hear new stories. And so I'm curious, uh, as, as you're thinking about your burnout and your recovery and the role PIR played in some of these lessons, what is God continuing to do and say to you now? Uh, I come back to just having to stay in a place of trust with the Lord, to uh, trust the Lord with all my heart, acknowledge him in all my ways. My only hope is in the hope of his grace and sufficiency in my own life that he's gonna help me get there. And for the things I can't explain, for the things I can't reconcile, um, I'm just gonna leave that with him and trust him for the things I can't understand. And then I'm gonna ask him to show me how to love people through these kinds of things. You know, in our ministry, uh, we're trying to offer hope for those who have no hope because we've experienced hope when we had no hope. And I would say this, that in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, you know, if any one of you has fallen into transgressions, that those of you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness, but watch out lest you be tempted and fall. And I have not necessarily seen a whole lot of restoration in the church, but I know this who God is. God is a God of redemption. God is the God of restoration. God is the God of reconciliation. That's who he is. And I want to know him in that way. So my wife and I have just decided we're going to pitch our tent at the throne of grace, uh, where there is mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And that anybody that needs it, we're going to help them get to the throne of grace because that's the best place to go. And that if God wants to do a work of redemption or God wants to do a work of restoration or if God wants to do a work of reconciliation, we want to make room for that. We don't want to hinder it in any way. We want to say, hey, we'll help. How can we make a way so that if God wants to, he can. And these are long processes. You know, we have dear friends in our life who it's taken about two years uh, to reconcile a marriage and reconcile wanting to be restored and to maybe engage in a church leadership again. This doesn't happen overnight. This is over weeks and months of separation and, and watching God, you know, heal a marriage so it can be reconciled without any, you, you just never know what the next step is going to be. And maybe God will reconcile a marriage, but maybe we'll never be safe to serve in the church again. And so it's, it's a process over months and years and yet God is faithful. And if we will wait on him and we will keep 
trusting that he is who he says he is and that he wants to do these things, then, then let's, then let's make room so that we could see the God of the Bible do what he's always done. Um, but I'm concerned for the church, the larger church, that we're, I don't want to go through my whole life and not see God's work of redemptive. I don't, I don't want to go through my whole life and never see God reconcile marriage or never see God restore someone who is caught up into addictive sin and, and get restored. And because I believe that God put spiritual gifts in every person for the building up of the body of Christ. And Ephesians talks about that, that when the church is functioning properly and everybody is utilizing the gifts they have, the church will build itself up in love. So what I can't quite figure out is how someone who has been born again and has spiritual gifts and is being restored from sin wouldn't then be invited to use those spiritual gifts in the church again to build up the body of Christ. And so recently as I've, you know, I have someone that has just off the charts musical gifts, you know, and I've said to them, you could just go to Nashville and have a career in music and never have to share your testimony. But I really believe God put those gifts in you to build up the local body of Christ. So what would have to happen for you to be able to do that again? And part of it is they would have to be willing to tell their story. And the, the church would have to be willing to apply the gospel to cover that shame. Mm. Yes. You know, that's, that's what happened in the garden. The first sacrifice was God made a sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve and cover their shame, which is a foreshadowing of the cross when Jesus comes and the blood of Christ is sufficient to cleanse every stain of sin and cover every shame. So that's what the gospel is. So as the church, we have to learn how to apply the gospel to these situations and confront sin when it's there, but then also apply the gospel to cover the shame and help the people be restored and move forward. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens. Amen. Amen. I want to capture something from both of you, because I'm imagining there are people listening uh, who are either recognizing maybe some initial points of burnout in their own lives or uh, places that just aren't right uh, and are just wondering if they should pay attention to it. And hopefully after hearing your story, they're saying, absolutely, I need to pay attention to this, but just not knowing what to do. Both, both of you have experienced burnout and recovery. How do you help others? Sean, I'm going to throw this to you first. One of the, the biggest questions I get when I'm coaching pastors uh, through burnout is, uh, how long will it take to, to get back? And uh, I tell them, well, you're working with me, so I, I know a little bit of the journey. I can, I can help you find some good progress in the next three to six months, but plan on three to five years before you start feeling yourself mm-hmm. again. And this is something that you're going to be dealing with for the rest of your life. There are elements of this that will stick around forever. Um, my journey in burnout uh, started with you know, heavy criticism in the church and uh, not having the spiritual and personal resources to handle criticism well. Um, and so for me, uh, it was really learning how to find my identity in Christ and how to live from that identity in Christ in such a way that I could endure criticism without wilting and still remain relationally connected to the people who are hurting me. Um, and that to, to me is, has been a huge, huge journey. Uh, so my, my realization that I was in burnout uh, started when I heard myself saying some things that um, that I didn't believe were coming out of my own mouth mm. because I was in this, this, this hypervigilant state of self-protection. I, I endured so many uh, attacks. Some, some, I heard somebody call it death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, eventually that trauma starts to affect you. And I was in deep trauma uh, and didn't know what was happening uh, in then I started to reach out, and one of the things Jason said really resonated with me is, is almost everybody that I've read and talked to has had their doctor say, you need to quit your job. Uh, this is going to take you two years of being out of that location, out of that occupation uh, to recover. And uh, my doctor said the same thing to me. You, you, need, you need space to recover. And it was those words that, that helped me realize I got to 
make some changes in my own life. And I started to do some searching and realizing that for me, it was my relationship with God was not strong enough to sustain my work for God. Hmm. And uh, that needed to change first. Yeah. And, and what a what a powerful word, uh, because I, I'm certain when when pastors find themselves confronted with that three to five years of recovery, um, you've heard it, I've heard it, there's a sense of no way, because I'm so wrapped up, my identity so wrapped up in what I'm doing, what will become of me? Who will I be if I'm not a pastor? And yet allowing that space to do exactly, Jason, what you've been saying, uh, for God to meet you in that space and say, well, let me tell you who you are. So Jason, how do you, how do you help others as you talk with them about burnout? Those that serve in the care profession do an amazing job of caring for others and being aware of what others need and, and try to meet those needs. The problem for those of us in those kind of professions is that we're often very slow to be aware of what we need and to be taking responsibility for that. Uh, so I began to realize that if, if our church or my wife and kids needed something, I was very quick to make sure they had it. But if you asked me what I need, I had no idea. Hmm. You know, when I began realizing I have no hobbies and on my day off, my wife asked me what I want to do. I have no idea that it just became more and more and more unhealthy. So for example, now one of our practices on my day off is um, my wife doesn't let me do anything until I can figure out what I want to do. I need solitude on my day off. And if, if I come to her and say, hey, let's go to lunch, but I have no idea where we might want to go to lunch, it's not time to go yet. I, I need more solitude to try to find some desire of something that's not church related. And that sounds funny, but uh, you just, it's the loss of self. It's a loss of identity. I have so given myself to others mm. that I don't even know who I am anymore. And so I encourage you know, friends that I'm talking with us about to think through the process, like um, in Thessalonians, where it identifies the spirit and the soul and the body. And I mm -hmm. we just begin asking, Lord, show me what's happening in my life spiritually. Show me what's happening in my soul. Show me what's happening in my physical life. Um, give me some discernment and understanding. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. I mean, this is not easy to discover these things, but it takes intentionality to begin going back in and saying, no, this area of my life needs attention, my spiritual life. And it sounds like failure. You know, as, as pastors, church leaders, we're spending all of our time in spiritual development. So for us to say, hey, maybe there's something missing in my life spiritually, it sounds like failure, but it's not. It's just a reality that I've given all of my spiritual energies and attention for other people. It's just acknowledging the reality that I have no idea what's going on in my soul because I spend all my time trying to help other people figure out what's going on in their soul. It's, it's, it's just a reality that that's what it's like being in a care profession. I just want to highlight that real quick. Um, one of the biggest things that I find in pastors who are burned out is they've lost their sense of self. They have no idea who they are, what they believe, what are their core values. And getting back in touch with, with their own soul and what they need is a huge part of that process. So thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. And, and I'd go a little further and say it doesn't just show itself in burnout, although I, I think that perhaps uh, that's more common uh, in, in an expression of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, given the different personalities in, in ministry, uh, it, it shows itself in many different ways. Uh, and, and so it's, I, I remember in one of my first pastoral classes, um, uh, you know, we, we had to memorize scripture. And so we memorize, you know, watch your life and doctrine closely. And, and the, the professor saying, you know, you're all, you all are watching your doctrine really closely, but your doctrine doesn't define you. You need to watch your life. And, and I wish, I wish I had heeded his words more deeply than I did. Um, so my hope is if anyone who's listening, who's wondering if they're facing potential burnout, that, that I just encourage you to contact us at PIR. Uh, like we love to say, you are not alone. There is hope and help 
And uh, as we close out this conversation, Jason, we always love to give our guests an opportunity to share a word of hope and encouragement uh, with our listeners. What would you share? The Bible says the harvest is great, but the labors are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. And as Chuck Wickman said, as he began PIR, PIR, uh, a good pastor is a terrible thing to waste. Hmm. And so part of my prayer that the Lord will raise up laborers is that he will heal the laborers that are wounded or heal the laborers that have been taken a hit and aren't able to serve in the way they once did again. And so that's why this Hope Renewed podcast is so important, that God would renew hope and those that have served the Lord for a time and now hit a curve uh, that God is not done with us. Uh, it's not it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. And God's going to continue to help us understand who he is in new ways. He's going to comfort us. He's going to bring healing in our lives where it's needed. If there's been sin, he's going to uh, he's going to meet us in our repentance and he's going to forgive and he's going to restore. We're going to stand before the father completely clean and forgiven. And then we're going to get to re-engage in what he's doing again and join him in his work. So that's really my, my heart is that the church will go forward and it will be blessed and have plenty of people serving and he'll be raising up new labors and he'll be healing laborers that have been doing it for years that need some encouragement so mm-hmm. thank you for serving the local church thank you for being a part of the great commission and if you're hurting you're not alone and uh, we would love to just come alongside you and offer our faith uh, in a great god uh, when when your faith is a little weak so well jason your story has been an encouragement for that and we thank you so much for uh, being willing to share that and i know that is just uh, you and stephanie both see your experience um, in the sharing of that as a gift that you can offer uh, to show the grace of God at work in uh, your life. And, and I know Sean and I both uh, just deeply appreciate you as a brother and uh, working with you. So thank you so much for being on Hope Renewed today. Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You guys are a blessing. Thanks for what you're doing for the Lord. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It's our prayer that your hope in Christ is an anchor for your soul. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame. Hope Renewed.